I was quite young when I got married, 22 years of age, my wife 23, and I thought we were surely young enough not to start thinking about having a family for a while when just over a year into our marriage, my wife came to me and said, we needed to have a talk. And a memorable talk it was. I don't know how it happened, but we were going to have a baby. So began the journey of parenting, and that is what I'm gonna be talking about with you today on Father's Day, how appropriate. As we continue in our series, Better Relationships, each and every one of us could make a contribution to this topic. You've had parents and or you are a parent. My guess is you already know intuitively that this relationship has a huge impact on us as individuals and society. We certainly know it empirically. Research tells us if your parents made you do chores, you take on responsibility as an adult. If your parents taught you social skills, you're more likely to get a college degree and a high paying job. If your parents told you white lies, you'll probably have issues trusting others in adulthood. If your parents spoke negatively about their bodies, you are more likely to think negatively about yours and have a low self-confidence. If your parents set high expectations for you, you probably did better in school. If your parents sheltered you, you're probably more likely to have anxiety. If your parents rejected you, you might struggle with anxiety and security with a tendency towards aggression and your ability to form solid relationships with others is stunted. If your parents praised you, you are likely to be self-confident. If they praised you too much, you might be narcissistic. If your parents spent time with you, you likely have better social skills and higher confidence. And this positive effect on child's personality was especially strong if time was spent with their father. It would be an understatement to say parenting has great impact. How many people have I talked to struggling with issues? As you drill down, you find some of the roots of that tracing back to what they experienced from their mom and especially their dad. Parenting, what a challenging responsibility. But also I wanna say, what a privilege and pleasure. Two of my three daughters are married with young children. As I watch them interact with their kids, man, have I been reminded of the mixture of responsibility and difficulty with privilege and pleasure. In one moment, a defiant child screaming because that's what little children do. Sometimes with their limited, capa limited capability to process multiple emotions, on a particular day, meltdown may seem to be the default. And then in another moment, the sweet affection, I love you, mommy. I want you, daddy, arms open wide, filled with tenderness. Come on, it's the best. And moving forward to parenting teens, the landscape looks different, the challenges have morphed, but the mixture can often be the same with greater interludes between them. Responsibility, difficulty, privilege, pleasure. To the parents, you might be in the forest today and you can't see the trees. And to those who are still under their parents' authority and those still affected by the input of their parents, which I think is all of us, my firm conviction is that God's word has something most important to say to us on this most important subject as it gives to us the why of this relationship we call parenting. As in anything, when we know the why of what we're doing, it's so much more easy for us to push our way through the difficult times. When I know the why, I can direct my efforts towards that which is best. Family is central to the plan and purpose of God. I wrote this down and I thought, really? 
As you are changing a poopy diaper or reflecting on your most recent confrontation with your teenage son, or if you are wondering how you should respond to your mom or dad, this would make a difference, wouldn't it? When parenting doesn't come easy, when family is hard, it would be worth it to fight hard to do this relationship right if family is central to the plan and purpose of God. Let's find out. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When you are the creator of something, you know why you made it and how it is intended to function. The biblical story is that God created us with great purpose. Adam and Eve, you and I were made to be the image bearers of God. That when the world and the universe looks at us, we, who we are and how we relate to one another points to our creator. Do you give much thought to this? I mean, what an honor, what a responsibility, what a privilege to bear the image of God. And this is to be multiplied through family. In verse 28, it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Think, make family and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's intention for parents as image bearers was to multiply the rule and reign of God, expanding its effect to all the earth, dominion. In other words, the family was to exhibit, here is what it looks like when God is in charge. Now, your thoughts of God may be one where you think of him more as a tyrant or a judge, but the truth is from the beginning, God is one who blesses, and so the rule of his image bearers is to result in good for the world. God blesses them to be a blessing. Most of you know the Genesis story. Adam and Eve messed it up as we still do. But God refuses to give up on us. And in Genesis, we see his intervention to accomplish a reclamation beginning with a man named Abraham. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 18. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. God says this about Abraham as God considers what he is going to do about Sodom and Gomorrah. Like Adam and Eve, God will bless Abraham to be a blessing. He has chosen Abraham and central to that of all the things that God could say, God says this about his chosen vessel to bless the world. Abraham will command his children to keep the way of the Lord. Family is central to the plan and purpose of God. A man will direct his family. As in Genesis, Abraham is to multiply image bearers of God who reflect God by doing good, righteousness and justice so that the world will be blessed. In the early 1900s, uh, an educational journalist, Albert Winship, published a book called Jukes Edwards, a study in education and heredity. It traces the legacy of two family lines. The first was the Juke family, whose legacy came to light as a man named Richard Dugdale was employed by the New York uh, Prison Commission to visit their state prisons. As he did so, he discovered that there were six members of the same family, the Jukes, in six different prisons. Dugdale was compelled to investigate this further and study the relatives. Up to 1,200 of the living and dead descendants of Max Jukes, born sometime around the year 1720. 
Of his descendants, 130 were criminals, seven of the descendants were murderers, 60 were thieves, more than 50 of the women were prostitutes, over 300 were paupers, and more than a third of the descendants were physically wrecked by alcoholism and or hard living. He goes on to say, the almost universal traits of the family were idleness, ignorance, and vulgarity. They would not work, they could not be made to study, and they loved vulgarity. It is very difficult to find anyone who is honest and industrious, pure and prosperous. Winship compared the legacy of Jukes to a man named Jonathan Edwards, who lived around the same time as Max Jukes. Edwards is still well known in Christian circles as he was a Christian pastor instrumental in the revival of the Great Awakening in America in the 1700s. In Winship's study, Edwards' legacy was found to be remarkable. One of his descendants became the vice president of the United States. Three were United States senators, three were governors, three were mayors, 13 were college presidents, 30 were judges, 65 were professors, 100 were lawyers, 100 were missionaries, pastors, and or theologians. Now, there are all kinds of conclusions you may want to draw from the comparison of these two families, but it is hard to refute that parenting and family influence has great impact from one generation to another. Jukes left a legacy that took from society and cost its taxpayers. Edwards left a legacy that bent to contribute to society in righteousness and justice to bless it. And of course, if family is central to the plan and purpose of God, we would expect how parenting is done, whether right or wrong, will have long-reaching ramifications. When I was preparing for this talk, the way it developed, I realized I was giving the big picture of parenting more than the nitty-gritty of parenting. And I wondered, is this the right thing to do? Is this what we need to hear? And as I was having this conversation in my head, shortly thereafter, I came across this book that my daughter and her husband were reading called Parenting. In this book, which I recommend to you, Paul David Tripp says this, as I've traveled the world talking about parenting, I've had thousands of exhausted parents ask me for more effective strategies for this or that, when what they really need is a big picture parenting worldview that can explain, guide, and motivate all the things that God calls them to do as parents. So today, from the big picture that we've talked about, let me give us some big principles. Number one, parent for the glory of God. Now, most of the parents I know, they want to be responsible and do a good job of parenting, but life gets busy and it can be demanding just being a parent in the season of COVID, of course, cranked up the demands. And we can be parenting but lose sight of what our goals should be in parenting. Sometimes sanity is all we feel we can hope for, but if parenting is central, family is central to the plan and purpose of God, don't settle for so little and rob yourself of its worth. Parent towards something bigger, nothing less than that your children would be image bearers who reflect the glory of God in their character and God-given talents and gifts. Paul Tripp says parents have to be careful to see their role as stewards and not owners. Too easily we can shift our view of parenting to what we want for our children and what we want from our children. There are subtle ways that we as parents are looking to gain from our children by how well our children behave or how smart they are, or how talented or gifted they are so that their success can be received as our own. I mean, who's not seen that at a kid's sporting event? But children are not our possession, they are God's, given to our care 
so that we can help them live lives that bring glory to God. This glorious goal makes a big difference as to how we feel about parenting, giving reason to endure, vision to sustain when it's hard. This glorious goal makes a difference as to how we actually parent, emphasizing character over performance and paying attention to our children more than our phones, looking for the glimpses of God's call on their life, how they are wired, what they are drawn to and good at so that we can build into that, not just for what we want for them, but for the glory of God. In that light, number two, make a love for God and his truth central to your life and the way that you parent. After God calls a man named Abraham, he calls a nation and gives them guidelines as to how to live. And as he speaks to the nation, rehearsing God's law, he zeroes in on parenting. Here's what he says to them in what is referred to as the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now this is so it would go well with them and they would multiply to great numbers. As a nation, blessed to be a blessing as they walk in the ways of the Lord family by family, loving God and his truth from the heart. Our goal is not well-behaved kids. We are not trying to pass on a moralism which helps our children, let's face it, inconvenience us less. And this often becomes a legalism that, you know, children will conform to it for a while, but as they get older, rebel. Our goal is to pass on a love for God, a passion for him and his ways. And it begins in the parent. It begins in you and me, in our hearts. So much of what is taught is caught. We pass on what we truly value and model in mostly the small but often repeated moments. When mom and dad demonstrate a love for God, when, when God is alive in them and they rehearse before their children how they have experienced God and what they see in God and what he is doing, when it becomes obvious that this is not just a Sunday thing but a lifestyle worth living, an adventure with the divine every day of the week, this is faith that is authentic, attractive, and compelling. Parents, Throw away every hindrance to your pursuit of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love your spouse as God has loved you. And then teach your children to do the same. Children project onto God what they see in their parents, especially their fathers. If dad is aloof or quick to anger, the child will see God in that way. If a father is legalistic, all about rules and not the heart, that's how a child will wrongly see our gracious God. But when a father knows and experiences God as the one who has revealed himself to be the Lord, merciful and gracious, like the father who runs to the prodigal son, the one who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving and yet just, a child will experience that from their father and be set up to grow rightly into a healthy relationship with God too. Make a love for God and his truth central to your life 
and the way that you parent. Sometimes people try to detach love for God from a love for his word, as if the two can be separated somehow. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In 1 John, we hear, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. After urging us to love God, the Shema in Deuteronomy immediately tells us to let God's commandments be on our hearts and the curriculum by which to raise our kids. When you sit in your house, when you go for a walk, taking the dog out, getting ready for bed, when you wake up 24-7, which is 168 hours a week, saturate your family's lives by God's truth, which has something to say about every aspect of our lives, as it is written by the author who created life itself. When our kids were young, we had devotional times where I would gather the household together and we would read a passage of scripture and pray out of that. It was that simple. It didn't always go well. Sometimes in calling us together, I wondered if the forces of evil saw it as a summons to wreak havoc in my house. There'd be grumbling and complaining and fighting. And yet as we persevered as parents, it was often so good. But having said that, Deuteronomy is reminding us that sometimes the most teachable moments happen on the fly as we demonstrate how the principles of God's word and the story of God speak to what our, child, our children are experiencing in that very moment. Psalm 78 talks about parents passing on to their children the, the story of God and his glorious deeds of the past so that their children get it and pass it on to their children. Michelle Anthony, in a Spiritual uh, Parenting, a book I would also recommend, says it is so important for parents to rehearse the big story of God we call the gospel from beginning to end. From Genesis, through the story of Israel, to Jesus, his life, especially his life, death, and resurrection, on the church, and all the way to the last book, Revelation, so that kids will see their lives so much more than about themselves, but that they are part of a bigger story in which God is actively involved. She says, I've often told my children before they leave for school, I wonder how God will show his care for you today or speak to you about a certain problem through his word or someone who loves you or how he will show you his power in creation. Be on the lookout. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he will. Watch for it. Today, you'll be part of the greatest story ever told. If you're going to love God, his words cannot be irrelevant. It is meant to be the transcendent story and guiding authority in your life and in your home. As a parent, make it a practice to read it with your family. Discuss what it says. Let your children learn with you, wrestle with you as you engage with its words. Talk about how you can live it out in today's context, both for you as a parent and for your children. Make a love for God and his truth central to your life and the way that you parent. Number three. Access the power of the Spirit through prayer. Last week, we heard how important the role of the Spirit is for healthy marriages. That can be said of any part of our lives. It is in the challenging times of parenting that we realize, whoa, I need God's help. And whatever God invites us into, including this grand responsibility of privilege called parenting, God has given His Spirit to help. Pray to tap into the Spirit's help for yourself and then tap into the Spirit's help for your kids. Throughout my life, I have tried to pray daily for my children and now their children, and I've seen God do things and orchestrate circumstances beyond my control 
that has had his fingerprints all over them. Our girls were teens when we moved back to Abbotsford and moving at that age can be really tough. And my, my wife and I were concerned, especially about how one of our daughters was processing and the kind of new friends she would make as she started a new school. In her first week, she met a girl she really liked. Turns out this girl was a Christian. And if I as a dad had made out a checklist for the type of person I would want my daughter to be best friends with, I could not have done better. Coincidence or answered prayer? I firmly believe that a most important but often so neglected role of a parent is to pray for their children. Our kids are image bearers of God who, like us, have an adversary who wants to wreak havoc, bring destruction to their lives. And these are challenging times. Our children need for us as parents to stand in the gap for them and pray for their protection and pray for them to thrive in their faith in the one who has overcome the world, Jesus. Parents, access the power of the Spirit through prayer. Pray for yourselves, pray for your children, and then pray with them. So much good discipleship can happen as you come before God together. You will hear the heart of your child in ways you would never hear otherwise. You will bond as you experience the presence of God together. Fourthly, strengthen your family in the bigger family of God. As a church, we are a spiritual family. All of our relationships are to be for the glory of God, centered on a love for God and His Word, empowered by the Spirit through prayer. What we have talked today is not only applicable to parenting, but to all of us. For those who are single, for those whose family is dysfunctional and broken, the church is to be a place of belonging for all. And it is also to be a place for the natural family to draw on its strength. Michelle Anthony talks about the importance of being consistently, that is more than once a month, consistently exposed to a faith-building environment. COVID has helped us to see how important that is. She says it's imperative that we put our children in close proximity to the faith community because the world is hostile toward their faith. They will need a reprieve. They will need a place where they can take the pieces of their armor off and simply remember who they are, a moment where they are not the alien. In this place, they gain strength. We must be wise to understand that our children will bear the marks of the world's harsh conditions, and therefore we must make provisions for a different kind of community, a community of refuge. Parents, while you are the primary influencer of your children, the extended family we call the church is to operate as a community, the village, if you will, that helps you raise your children for the glory of God. Family is central to the plan and purpose of God. May all of our relationships be for the glory of God. Let's make a love for God and His Word central to all of our relationships, empowered by the Spirit through prayer as we gain strength from one another in the greater family of faith we call the church. Because family reflects the heart of a great God who has revealed Himself as Father. Let me proclaim these words over us. In closing, from Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.